My bones were shaking. There's a way, and we, uh, we're, we're, uh, we're on the verge of discovering, I think, how cultures can blend. Cultures of uh, different ethnic groups, and yet created by the same God, worshiping the same God, uh, can combine, blend together. And tonight was an example of that. And yet, if tonight's the beginning of that, which I think it is, then how much more when the maturity of it happens? But it doesn't mature if we don't keep making space for it. We have to make space. And we have to make space for all people. We have to make space for cultural uh, passions to be expressed simultaneously. And the church has not really done a good job of that as a whole. I mean, there are exceptions, of course. Uh, But boy, does it look different. I mean, this is not normal. (laughs) I'm not saying it shouldn't be normal. I'm just saying it has, historically, this has not been normal, but I think the Lord is changing the expression of the church. Uh, And we've looked for programs to do it. And I'll be talking later about that. But I I, uh, I think we've replaced power with programs. And I'm not against programs. I think programs are needed to meet the needs of people. But they shouldn't be the main attractor for people. The presence of God should be the main attractor. Programs meet the needs of those who have been attracted. So we, we join together and we become, we become this body. And then all of a sudden there's 3,000 people like on the day of Pentecost. And we, oh, we've got to do something. Something has to happen because we we got people. Uh, up until you have people, you don't have to do anything. Suddenly people make things needed. You know, like child care. You know, stuff, when people come, children come, and now you have a need. So I'm not against programs, but if we use, I think God would rather the power attract people than programs attract people. The presence of God attracting people versus, versus programs. I think the Lord would rather see an interactive church than an entertaining church. And we have to be careful not to get into the entertainment factor and ignore the interactive factor. And what God has called me to do is to start proclaiming the need for interaction where that you and God work together. Now, God doesn't need you. God doesn't need me. He could do it without us. But for some strange reason, He wants to do it with us. Um, I was building my son a treehouse once. And I had one day 
one day to put this treehouse together. <laughs> you know, in between trips and so on. And, and, and from our son Micah, uh, our son Micah is a very active, he was a very active all boy, as now is a very active young man. But at this particular juncture, I went, I went to, to uh, Home Depot, filled up my pickup truck with plywood and two-by-fours. And here we go, we are going to make a, I'm going to make a, a, a wonderful Swiss Family Robinson <laughs> multi-level treehouse for my son. I have it all figured out how I'm going to do it. And I have just enough time to make this work. I, you know, I, I had like a dago truck because the weight of the plywood was so heavy. I was going down the street like this. I pull into my yard, and out from the house runs my son, our son Micah. And Micah looks at me, and he says, Dad, can I help? Let's go. My first thought was, oh no, I'm never going to get this done. And the Lord said, are you building this for you or for your son? And I said, okay, Micah, let's go. Fifty-two trips. One, two before at a time, because he's, he's like five years old. Grab that in, I grab this in. <laughs> Fifty-two trips. At the end of it, my son looks at me and he goes, Dad, thank you for helping me. <laughs> helping you. And the Lord spoke to me just like that. I said, son, that's exactly how you are. I use you to heal people. And you say, thank you, God, for helping me. He said, I could do it without you. But I long to do it with you. See, God can heal people without us. But He longs to do it with us. Because it's, it's as much about you as it is about them. The person being healed and you being used to do it. And it's not, thanks God for helping me. It's thank you for letting me participate. It's He who does this. We learn so much from our children. We learn so much from each other. And we learn so much about feedback. <laughs> well, I want to continue talking to you about this morning's message. And then, I, then I've got something I want to do and we'll see what happens. We learned about three, two keys and we've got a third one to learn about. The first key that we learned about is the, the key of the eternality of God. His eternal nature. And that He's present outside of time in all of time. 
Second thing we learned about the second key, and this is learning how heaven and earth interact. We learned about um, the coexisting spiritual realm and that God has put together a host of angels in order to help us. Heavenly hosts, angels, cherubim, seraphim, watchers, etc. He gives us dreams, visions, and so on to help us achieve this thing called purpose, the purpose for which we were created. And every one of us have that. Then, sec- then the third key, which we're going to cover tonight, is, is what I called above-the-line thinking. Above-the-line thinking. So what I would like for you to do, I would like for you, um, yeah, I would like for you to draw a square on, if you're taking notes, just draw a square on your piece of paper, however big you want it. You want it. Just draw a square. And then I want you to take a pencil and draw a line horizontally through the middle of that square. Okay, so if you just if you don't have no paper, don't worry about it. You'll you'll catch it. If if you do, it's a great it's an illustration that will help you remember above the line thinking. So you you've drawn a square. Now, in the middle of it, draw another line so you have two rectangles, one sitting on top of the other one. Okay? On the bottom rectangle, I want you to kind of shade it in. The bottom one. Shade it in. If you were here this morning, this will make much more sense to you, but I'll try to encapsulate it so it makes sense tonight. And that, that basically comes to be this. The, that bottom line, that bottom rectangle that's darkened and shaded in right now, that you can write in there earthly thinking. Or you could write in it, remember this tree? Hi. <laughs> remember this tree? Tree of. Knowledge, which is soul thinking. Soul thinking. Okay? Soulish thinking. Tree of knowledge. Earthly thinking, soulish thinking, tree of knowledge thinking, all the same thinking. Okay? Now, on this side would be tree of life. Very good. Spirit thinking. Setting your mind on things above, not on things of this earth. Spirit thinking, okay? So we want to start learning to think spiritually about how things work versus earthly about how things can't work. Because the earth always tells you why it won't work. But the heavens declare how it will work. So it's Colossians 3.2, for those of you who says words of Scripture. Colossians 3.2. Setting your mind on things above, not on things of this earth. So, we're setting our, our mind on things things above. Now, for those of you that want to, you can turn to Acts chapter 17, verses 26 through 28. We're going to read something very interesting, that if you've taken our, our courses, you know this, and I'll remind you. If you haven't taken our courses, this might be a wonderful surprise for you. Acts 17 Verses 26 through 28 says this, and I'm reading from the New King James. You may have a different version. He, God, has made from one blood. 
Whoa. That means you guys and me share the same blood. And all in all, and me, we all share the same blood. From one blood, he has made every nation, every group of people. Okay? I celebrate the one blood from him who made all. Well, it goes on to say, So from one blood he's made every nation of man to dwell on all the face of the earth. Do you know why he did that? Let me just take a little rabbit trail here. you know why he did that? Here, let me... What did he tell Adam and Eve in the very beginning? Be fruitful. Multiply. Subdue the earth. Well, Tower of Babel came along. Stuff comes. Tower of Babel comes along. And they're all gathered together in like one place. And they're building this real big tower and they're not subduing the earth. They're trying to become like God. Trying to ascend to God. Thinking that if all, if all I need to... If God's up there, then if I can get up there, I can become God. We think that today. We build different towers today. Perhaps the towers in our mind. So what God, what's God do? He says, well, you guys think you can do that, huh? Hmm. Now, I'm going to do something to help you subdue the earth and multiply. I am going to give you a whole bunch of different languages. And I'm going to drive you all over the earth. And I am going to... You will then have the responsibility that I originally gave you. Subdue this earth. See, when God drove them and scattered them at the Tower of Babel, He never rescinded the mandate to subdue the earth. Never. This is why it's very important for you to understand protocol. The protocol that happened with, with the Native Americans and myself today, they protocoled me. They gave my wife and I, we, we received two different gifts. It's really important. This protocol issue, and here's why. Because you see, people groups were driven to all over the earth because they had the responsibility of subduing that land. And God never removed that responsibility. So therefore, they have that responsibility. When you come into that land, you come into the area that they have responsibility for. The protocol is the, the exchange of gifts that says, you, may I have permission to be here, and I give you permission to be here. This is protocol. And it's important. And I think it's one of the reasons why revival hasn't lasted. He has placed you all over. It goes on to say here that he has made men to dwell all over the face of the earth and determined their pre-appointed times. That means when you should live. We talked about that this morning. When you should live. Now, when you really think about that, that means in all the history of time, God said, you should live now. No other time's better for you to live. 
than now. Beginning of time, end of time, here you are. Now. Well, if he has determined when you should live, perhaps there's a reason you should live now. That's called purpose. There's something you can do that nobody else can do better. And God designed you, intentionally designed you, Jody, designed you, Nikki, designed you, Lewis, designed you, Sharon, designed you to accomplish that purpose. You are designed for now. You're not designed for 1800s. You're not designed for 2,999 if God tarries. You're designed for 2008 right now. Given the right look, the right height, the right color eyes, the right shape, everything you need, you have been designed by God for to accomplish it. And he goes on to say, not only to determine when you should live, he's determined the exact place you should live. Now I look that word exact up. And it means exact. <laughs> or exactly. Exactly. And here's what that means. It doesn't mean you should live in America. Too general. It doesn't mean you should even live in California. Too general. It doesn't mean you should live in Santa Monica or, or L.A. or any of the other number of suburbs are in here in the L.A. basin and beyond. It means you should live in the exact apartment, exact house, in the house number where you live. Exact means exact. It doesn't mean approximately. God forever has known, before the world ever was formed, where you would live today. Why? Because you have impact around you. <coughs> what do I mean by that? I mean this. If I'm a bearer of God's light, and those live near me are have, are in darkness or are struggling to grow in the light of God that they have. If, if I'm a bearer of God's light, then by my presence near them, they get enlightened. Let me, and, and this was illustrated to me by the Lord who one time allowed me to see in a vision approximately a half a day's worth of, of a life in a woman. And she was very upset. She was having to move from an apartment she loved to an apartment she didn't love. New owners of the apartment had come. They had raised the price of the lease. She could no longer afford to, to live there. And the only apartment she could find was far less than the apartment she had. Was not particularly happy about this. Had to move out of that apartment, which she did not know that the Lord had arranged for that to happen so she would move. Had no clue it was God. Had no clue he determines the exact place 
you would live. So, she ends up going to the apartment. She walks into the apartment, opens up the door, and I hear all the demons shrieking who were left there from the former tenant, shrieking, The light! The light! Here's the light! Stop the light! Help the light! They're shrieking in these demonic overtones. She has no clue they're shrieking. She is irritated. (laughs) Not if they're shrieking, irritated. I don't want to be here. I don't like this place. It's the only place available. It's further from my work. This is just not right. God, why aren't you with me? And he is. He is with her. She just doesn't recognize it yet. She realizes that she wants to fix herself some coffee, realizes that she doesn't have any sugar, needs some sugar, wants to go to the store, gets in her car, tries to find the nearest grocery store, drives down the road, sees a grocery store, and she wants to get to that grocery store and make a left-hand turn to it, but this car won't move. So she can't change lanes. And little does she know that angels have pushed that driver to move that car right there so she cannot go to that grocery store. She is oblivious to this. Totally oblivious. Well, so she goes on down the road, sees another grocery store, car's already gone, she pulls into that lane, drives, turns in, goes to that grocery store. She gets into the grocery store, and as she's going up and down the aisles, I can hear the demons of greed and manipulation luring her to purchase them. From product after product after product. Shrieking, shrilling. At the same time, I can hear them afraid of the light that she carries. Shrieking about that too. She, she gets what she needs. She goes to the checkout counter. And just as she's pushing into a cash register that is open, another person pushes in front of her and gets into the cash register that she was going to. Not a fun day. Already irritated, this did not help that irritation. So what does she do? She moves over to another line, not even aware that angels had pushed this other person in front of her. So she would not go into that line, but into that line. While she's in that line, while she's in that line, the woman at the cash register is looking at her as she's checking out, checking out the food, is looking at her and saying, I wish I was like her. What is there about her? She's got it all together. My life is a mess. My daughter's run out. My son's on drugs. My husband is having an affair. My life is a mess. She feels the presence of God, the light of God touching her. The woman is sitting here going, okay, $5, $8, $22. I barely have enough in my checking account to pay for this. 
She gets the stuff, walks out, has no idea that two more Christians who would go past this woman will touch her enough where she wants to be in church tomorrow and will give her life to the Lord. Totally unaware of the impact she's had on that cashier. You and I are just like that. We are totally unaware of the impact we have on people we meet because of this incredible light that we have. Totally unaware of it. We need to become aware of it. Because if you can walk with intent through a store, God can do great things with a purpose. I am going to touch you without touching you. The Spirit that is in me is going to change you and you don't have a clue you're being changed as I walk by you, but you are. That's the God we serve. Nobody can meet the God we serve and not be changed. You have just come in contact with the Creator of heaven and earth and I'm not Him, but He dwells in me. He lives in me. I take my next breath because he takes his breath, David said. This is the God we serve. And we need to act like it. We need to know it. We need to, with purpose and intent, walk through buildings, into meetings. Not with confidence that, oh, I got it all together. That's not it. It is, well, I may not have it all together, but I guarantee you, by the time I leave this room, you will be different. You will have changed. And my purpose isn't to be successful in this meeting. My purpose is to change you. Just that much. Because it's that much closer to God you are because we met. My purpose isn't to reel you in like a fish. I may get to do that. I may get to be the harvest. But my purpose may be just to water you with the refreshing of the water of the Spirit. My purpose may be just to fertilize you, to tend you, to pull one weed out of your life that will no longer keep you and choke your life out. Whatever my purpose is, I'm here to do that. And that is more important to God than the success of the contract you may or may not sign. Heavenly thinking or earthly thinking? Earthly thinking, I'm here. Are they going to sign the contract? If they don't sign the contract, I won't be able to pay my rent. If they don't sign the contract, I won't be able to pay the guys that I've hired to do this. I won't be able to, my, my reputation will be ruined. All those, that's earthly thinking. Heavenly thinking is, I have a higher purpose than that. I am a change agent for heaven. Period. And you will be changed because of he who's in me. That doesn't mean that you'll sign my contract. And you don't, of course you don't tell them this. Well, I am a change agent. That is not the way to effectually impact them. But just by our, the presence of the Lord in us, it will happen. 
So he's done, it goes on to say that he's determined their pre-appointed times. He's determined exactly where they should live. Some of your versions may say the boundaries of their habitation. So they should seek the Lord. He puts you there because it's going to drive you to seek Him. He allows things to happen because it will drive you to seek Him. I love what Gary said this afternoon. God allows things to happen in our life to drive us closer to God. Because it justifies Him in taking action on our behalf. Because He's a God of justice. Oh, wow. What do you mean by that? Well, I mean this. Scales of justice. You have a two-ton attack. God is justified in giving you a two-ton anointing. The scales of justice. The whole throne of heaven rests on it. No justice. No throne. So he's going to do this. He said, you should seek him in the in hope that you'll find him. And even though you feel like you're groping for him, he's not far from you at all. He's not far from you. For in him... We live and move and have our being. So that's what this, this young lady found out. Just a short while later, after leaving that cashier, she found this out. Why? Because the cashier got saved at the church the lady attended. And walked in and said, I know you. We live and move and have our being in Him. It's not a trite saying. It's not something to fill out that verse because they needed it in the Bible. It's not something that is poetically sensitive and therefore they decided to include it. It is a reality. We live and move and have our being. Now, what does this basically say? It says this. You were born for such a time as this. You were born for such a time as this. You were born exactly when God wanted, not before, not after. My mother was pregnant with me 11 months by God's plan. She could have chosen another plan, but she she didn't have a choice. You live where you live by God's design. It is not by accident, and it's not because it's the only apartment you could afford. He designed you to live there. What goes on in your life does not happen by man's devising. It is not your boss's devising. It is not the owner of the company's devising. It is not the marketplace devising. It is God in you. God knew what he would need from you on February the 2nd, 2008. He knew what he would want to teach you on February the 2nd, 2008. He knew who you would want. He wanted you to impact by your presence here on January the 2nd, 2008. And he knew this before there was ever a particle of this creation in existence. Before the primal dust of this earth ever was, he knew. In fact, there was never a time he didn't know. Thus, he would have learned something. And been changed. 
So therefore, God, knowing everything, never learning anything, not in a conceited way, just fact, knew you forever has known you. And knew when he would need you. And even more knew when the earth would need you. That's why you're here. The earth needs you. It is groaning for you. It is waiting for you. It longs to fulfill its purpose through you. It would do everything it can to help you because it too came from the same Creator. All designed in perfect harmony to work with each other to accomplish God's grand purpose. We ignore each other all the time. We ignore the earth and we ignore our, each other as friends. We ignore each other as our ethnicities. We ignore each other in our heights, our looks, our weights, our ups or downs. People don't like gray hair and beards and you got one. You know, I know I got one. Well, I don't like it. I'm sorry. I'll shave it off right now. You know, my wife, you have to deal with my wife, but... By the way, my wife is a very kind woman. Right, Brian? She is incredibly kind. She doesn't cut me any slack. <laughs> but people love my wife. It, it is amazing. She is, she is incredible. And, and the great thing about it is she is not impressed by me. <laughs> and it is a great thing. But she loves me. 32 years. I'm, in June, I'll be 32 years. I know. She doesn't even look 32 years old. Well, that's because I treated her so well that... Well, keep in mind, he knew what he would need with you today. He knows who he wanted you to influence today. He knows exactly that no one can do it better than you can do it because he designed you to do it. He'll help you in every way he can if you would just let him. And he will have all of his creation help you from spiritual beings, heavenly entities, the earth itself. Everything will help you if you will be where He wants you to be. You see, God will move heaven and earth to get you where He wants you to be if you'll be where He wants you to be. If God wants you to be here, and then He will move you to here, that's, that will happen. You may not know how, but it will happen. But if you're over here, and you should be over there, now we've got a problem. Because if he works on your behalf here, he will then condone your rebellion. And he can't condone your rebellion. So he moves you. He woos you. He speaks softly to you. Wants you to get here. Urges you to get here. And you get here. And then he goes, now I can do it. You moved. He'll move heaven and earth to get you where He wants you to be, if you're where He wants you to be. We must examine our life. 
you, I, continually must examine our lives. Why? Because if your life is the same as it was five years ago, you need to change. Something needs to shift here. And as you get older, you know how fast five years comes and goes. It's like day before yesterday. <laughs> now I know when I was young, I was 18, man, time dragged. Oh, it's a drag. It's like, it's 2.30. It seems like it's been a year since it was 1.30. <laughs> it dragged. But as I'm getting older, oh my goodness, yesterday... It was Christmas, and now it's February. What happened to January? <laughs> so five years comes and goes. But if five years has come and gone, and you're, not the, you're no different than you were, then something has to change in your life. Decisions have to change in your life. Choices have to change in your life. Is God justified in acting on your behalf? Let me say it another way. You can't expect to raise the dead in the middle of an adulterous affair. Because God will be condoning your sin. Now, to a lesser degree, we have to make application, that application, to our everyday lives. Too many of us see how close we can live to the edge of Christianity versus see how close we can live to the center of Christianity. And I'm not talking about, well, I have to be holy. I think I said this earlier. Holiness is not a means to getting to God. Holiness is a result of knowing He who's holy. If I could be holy enough, Jesus wouldn't have had to come. If I had the capability of making myself holy, Jesus wouldn't have had to come. It's the very fact that He came that tells me I am incapable of being holy. And yet the Bible says, be ye holy, for I am holy. We forget the I am holy part. We focus on the be ye holy part. We're only able to be holy because He is holy and we get closer to Him and we take on attributes of Him. The closer we get to Him, the more holy we become. Not because we know how to act, but because we have no desire for the things we used to desire. Holiness is a fruit of knowing God. It's not a means of achieving closeness to God. God wants us to draw near to Him. And in doing so, we will be transformed. But our churches, we pastors, have said, oh, don't worry about it. You know, you know, God will deal with you when it's time for you to deal with it. Hogwash. I mean, Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you, but go and sin no more. He didn't say, you know, keep in your sin. You know, I don't condemn you. You know, when you're ready, you'll be able to get out of this thing. And, you know, and I'll be here. He, Jesus never said this. Why do we say this? We have cheapened our relationship with God. So why should anybody want it? It's too cheap. We have something that's very precious. Not only because of what He did for us, but because of who He is. And He wants to relate to us. This is a precious relationship. And that veil has been broken. And Paul said, because that veil has been torn from top to bottom, not bottom to top, that He did that, that we now have the ability to walk in to relationship with Him with boldness.
That's what he did. So God, we, we can't expect God to condone our sin by doing what we ask him to do in the middle of our sin. But at the same time, he wants to act knowing we're imperfect. And so what does God do? He draws us closer to him. He sees the thoughts and intents of our heart. He judges those thoughts and intents of our heart. And as he sees our intent is towards him, he's now justified in acting even though we are not perfect yet. Because he sees our heart racing towards him. And now we can act because our heart is his. My son, our, our sons, as they were growing up, I can act on behalf of my son. Even though my son is not perfect, I want to get things for him because I see his heart is changing. You have children. You know the exact same feeling. You see the heart of the child change. You wouldn't do anything for that child. But boy, if they have an obstinate heart, you won't open nothing. You won't open your checkbook. You won't open your pocketbook. You won't go to the ATM. You won't get him what you were going to get him had he not done what he did. And his attitude... When you say you got an attitude, God says that to us a lot. you got an attitude. I don't have an attitude. You're stubborn. I'm not stubborn either. Yeah. This, we, we have all this stuff. We have all these arguments. But God knows and He will not... All He's looking for is our heart to change. He's not demanding perfection. He just wants our heart to change. That's why it says, When you seek me with all your heart, I'll be found of you. It's not saying be perfect. He's saying, turn your heart towards me. Seek me with all your heart. This incredible God. I wouldn't be that incredible if I was God. I wouldn't do that. I'd say, well, when you get perfect, come. Did you, you know, I'd come to God and say, oh God, please help me. Did you do what I told you to do? Oh Lord, I'm sorry, I've not been able to do what you told me to do. Then go back and do it and then come back. <laughs> that would be me. <laughs> but that's not God. He goes, oh, your heart is towards me. Your heart's towards me. Yes, my heart is towards you. Oh, I love this. That's God. So in order to achieve different results, we've got to change our thinking. We have to start thinking in heavenly terms, not earthly terms. Spiritual terms, not soulish terms. Tree of life terms, and not tree of the knowledge of good and evil terms. We've got to change the way we think about everything. How does God think about this? If He knows all, is all, is all powerful, then why did He let this happen? Because He wants to show you, you. I have a friend, his name's Isaac. Isaac Levy. Incredible guy. Isaac, Isaac's, uh, Isaac was one of those guys like his Mr. Israel. He trained the guys that did the raid on Entebbe. He was very high in the stuff of Israel. And Isaac, Isaac uh, had moved to, to Texas, this town in Texas. And his house burnt down. And... Uh, in the process of examining why the house burnt down, they began to think that it was arson and that he did it. And so I went to Isaac and I said, Isaac, are you concerned? He goes, 
No, I'm not concerned about that. I said, what, what do you mean? You, you could spend 20 years in prison if, if they say you did this. And he says, I know. I said, and you're not worried? He goes, not about that. I said, well, what are you worried about? He goes, I'm worried about this. What is it in me that let them even think I could do it? Because if it's important enough to God that I go to prison to learn this thread, I have to find it. Then it's important enough it's important enough to me to go to prison. I go, oh. I had never thought about life that way. What is God wanting to get at in me that it's so important to Him He would let this happen? You see, if it's that important to God, that means it will have that level of impact on others. You, having that thread dealt with in your life, will give that impact to others. That's above the line thinking. That's thinking God, who is all-powerful, could have stopped it. He chose not to. There's something He's after. I'm going to find what that is. Wow. Joseph, sold into slavery by his brothers. What was God after? He was after the brash young boy who insolently told his brothers, Hey guys, you're going to bow down to me. He was after the insolence of the young boy who said, and not only are you going to bow down to me, the stars are going to bow down to me. How about that, brothers? And by the way, look at the coat I got. (laughs) That was what God was after. So what did God do? He let his brothers sell him into slavery. He let Potiphar's wife falsely accuse him. He spent years in the dungeon and... Psalms 100, 100, 105, I think, 105, or 109 says this, that the word of the Lord tested him until the word came to pass. And it was that brash, insolent boy who was humbled enough to love his brothers 40 years later. Or 30 years later. That was what God was after. You see, Joseph could have never become the top in the land under Pharaoh had he retained his insolence. His condescending attitude. His spoiled, bratty nature. So God, in order to get him to his purpose, allowed that to be dealt with. What is it that God's dealing with in you to make you great? What is it that you need to deal with in order for God to get you where He created you to be? Your purpose for being created. The people you need to touch. Maybe you're not going to be a Joseph. Maybe you're just going to impact a Joseph. So he becomes great. And he wouldn't have been impacted to greatness had you not been there. You don't know. You don't know. 
But you do know this. Before heaven and earth were created, God knew He would need you today. Need you today. So we have to have this thinking change. Paul says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So there's a place where mental prowess can be spiritually governed. And we need to have that take place. So we need to think differently. We need to think differently about our lives. We need to be thinking differently about how we influence people. We need to be thinking differently about our our responsibilities. We need to be thinking about others and what, what we're here to do for them. We need to think differently about all these things because God truly is sovereign. You see, you may be thinking right now, even as I'm talking, you may be thinking, you know, it's too late. I blew it. I blew it. But it's never too late. Abraham believed and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. He believed. What does it say about that? Romans 4. Abraham did not consider the reality that his body was dead. In other words, he could no longer produce offspring. No sperm. He didn't consider it. Romans 4.17 God told him, I've made you a father of many nations. God who gives life to the dead calls those things that do not exist as though they did and brings them to pass. Many of you are sitting there right now dead. Oh, it may not be dead for children. Maybe it is. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's dead because you have no more emotions. Maybe it's dead because you have no more money. Maybe it's dead because you've been in jail and you think God can never use me. Maybe it's dead because I've been on drugs and God could never use me. Maybe it's dead because all I do is run. I've, never, I've been a coward all my life. God could never use me. None of those are acceptable to God. He knew that before He created you. He knew you would run. He would up and go, oh man, if I wish, if, if I knew He was going to run, I'd never put Him on earth. He knew that. He knew it. He knew that you, you would be on drugs. He goes, yeah, I'm not known as going to be a drug addict. I'd have killed him when he was born. He knew that. He knew. Why? Because he also knew the word of the Lord will test you. You will be tested by everything. But the word of the Lord will come to pass. God who calls things that are not, as though they were, will bring it to pass. This is above the line thinking. This is spiritual thinking. This is being renewed in the spirit of your mind. This is what Paul was talking about. You may not believe that God can use you, but He's calling what doesn't exist into being. It will happen. I want to read something to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 
2 Corinthians chapter 10. Very important passage. This passage deals with the way we think. It deals with the way we think. Verse, verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Strongholds, you'll find out in a moment, are what you think, what you think, how you think about what you think, how you perceive what you think. So it's pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments. Now, what's an argument? It is your mind saying no or yes. Argument is a mental transaction that takes place. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Then it goes on to say, and when you do this, I will punish everything that comes against you. It says it like this, being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. In other words, whatever is disobedient to God that will hurt you, I will punish them. But before I can do that, you have to be obedient. Now, obedient to what? Well, some of you may say, well, obedient to, well, I should have been fasting and I've not been fasting. Well, maybe, but is that what he's talking about here? No. You see, in this passage, he's talking about the way you think. The way you think. And in particular, the way you think about one certain thing, first and foremost, that governs the way you think about everything else. One thing. And that is... How you think about you. This is what he's talking about here. Strongholds. How you think about you. How you think about you. That's where it starts. Why is that important? Because it governs how you think about everything else. It governs your perceptions about everybody else. Everything else. Finances, religion, politics, economic, war, geocentristic issues, everything. It governs how you think and perceive everything else. And here's what it says. I looked up this passage. I did a word study on this entire passage. And this passage where it says, exalt itself against the knowledge of God, literally means exalt itself against what God knows about His creation. You. So here, let me rephrase that and paraphrase it into an, another way. Anything that does not agree with what God thinks about you, exalts itself against the knowledge of God about you, and therefore is a mental stronghold that has to be torn down. Let me rephrase it another way. If you think about you any differently than God does, 
It's a stronghold that needs to be pulled down. It is exalting itself against the knowledge of God about you. What does it mean exalting itself? It means this. You think more highly of what you think about you than what God thinks about you. That is exalting itself against the knowledge of God about you. If you do not think about you what God does, you have just exalted your thoughts about you above His thoughts about you. And He then, if you then come into obedience, and the first step in that obedience is, think about you what God thinks about you, He will then punish anyone who's disobedient and hurts you. He will stop it and punish them if they hurt you, because you now are obedient to what He put you here to do. And until you come into agreement with what God thinks about you, you will never be able to accomplish why He put you here. The purpose for which you were created can never happen until you come into an agreement with God about what He thinks about you. Period. Cannot happen. You're getting kind of personal here, Jackson. Yes, it's going to get more so. So what do we have to do? We have to take every thought captive. What does that mean? Here's what it means to me. John Paul Jackson. I literally do this to me. John Paul Jackson. This is not what God thinks about you. I know, I know. Don't listen to that other guy. Yes, Lord. Okay. I am not weak. I am strong in you. It is not the economy holding back my house. It is you, O God. It is not the contract that needs signed in the meeting today. It's the person who needs touched by you, O God. I will touch them. You will flow through me. The Spirit of the living God will come up on them. They won't know what hit them. They'll be dazed in some way. This is the God we serve. We need to take every thought captive. And if I come into a place that I'm not agreeing with what God says, I speak to me. I say, I will not have this in my life. I will not think about this. This is not the will of God concerning me. This will not happen. For I will walk in the perfect will of God. Satan has no sway over what I am going to do. Whatever happens to me, it is only because God allowed it. Because there's something even more important for me to do. And I will accomplish it. That's above the line thinking. Spiritual thinking. It's being renewed in the spirit of our mind. (coughs) So there's two major purposes that God wants to use you for. One, the advancement of His kingdom, and that happens by the destruction of evil. We pray for the sick to destroy evil. We pray for the demonized to destroy evil. We repent from dead works to destroy evil. We have the doctrine of baptism, laying on of hands, Hebrews 6, 1 through 3, for the destruction of evil. All the gifts were given for the destruction of evil. They exist for the destruction of evil. Yes, the glory of God, destroying evil. For this purpose was the Son of God made manifest, that it might destroy the works of the evil one. This is what we're about. It's the body of Christ. We are to be made manifest, and we are to manifest in the destruction of evil. That's the advancement of the kingdom. Secondly, 
We are to reach our created purpose. And that purpose begins right here. For the kingdom of God begins within you. Is within you. Indeed, it is in you, Jesus said. When we reach our purpose, when you reach your purpose, when I reach my purpose, the kingdom of God will reach its purpose. And it is not within our capability of doing it. It is beyond our capability. And that's why it is God who will do it for His glory, for His great name's sake. He will do it. I love it. He created us and put His name. I love how John Piper puts it. He said, God is not afraid to put His name at stake in your destiny. Do you understand that? God is not afraid of putting His name at stake in your destiny. You may be, but He's not. We have to ask for our purpose. God has a great plan for us. It's never been a dark plan. It's never been an evil plan. It is a great plan. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. To give you a future and a hope. A future. That's your purpose. To give it to you. I, God's saying here, I want to give you and help you reach your purpose. I'm not, a, I'm not resisting you. I want to help you. God has great plans. Philippians 4, verse 8. Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report, the things that have virtue, the things that are praiseworthy, meditate or think on these things. That's above the line thinking. That's above the line thinking. God is going to use me. And we'll talk more about that shortly. We have to make the right choice in the moment of choice. See, in the moment of choice, we have an opportunity to stimulus this, this moment, this opportunity that is right here. We want to do it. We want to watch this. We want to say this. We want to retaliate like this. We want to judge this. We want to become angry. We feel justified in doing all of that. And what is happening right here at this moment, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is fighting the tree of the Spirit. Or the soul is battling the spirit. Or as Paul says, I wage a war within myself. And that which I don't want to do, I do. And that which I do, I don't want to do. See, this, this war that goes on, the battle of the soul for the spirit, there's a moment that you have to make the right choice. And if you practice, you will not fail. You will make the right choice. I will not think like this. You will make the right choice. In that moment of choice. You all have it. We always have it. And it's that nanosecond where spirit and soul are battling for you. Above the line thinking. Spirit wins. Earthly thinking. Soul wins. You can say it like this. Positive spin, negative spin. Positive spin. Well, to you to be... Positive spin. Negative spin. Never do anything 
that stops the positive spin. Never take an action that stops the positive spin. What would that be? The Spirit. The battle is between the soul and the Spirit. The battle is the two, the two trees. What I'm doing, I don't understand. What I will to do, I don't practice. What I hate, that's the very thing I do. Remember, anything that you think about yourself that God does not think about you is exalting itself against the knowledge of God. We have to cast down that argument. You see, the battle is for your mind. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 22, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. He said in Luke 12, 29, Jesus said, Do not have an anxious mind. 2 Timothy 1, 7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of, but of power and love and of a sound mind. Why? Because what you think about yourself, you become. As a man thinks within his heart, so is he. Our thoughts then determine our destiny. Proverbs 16.3, commit your works unto the Lord and your thoughts will be established. What if the greatest challenge to your destiny wasn't the, en- the enemy, wasn't Satan, wasn't demons? What if the greatest challenge to your, to your destiny was you? You. And your perception of who you are. We will reap spiritual results if we think spiritual thoughts. Galatians 6, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Now, we typically think this is negative, like if I, if I, if, if I do bad things and I'm going to get bad things to happen to me. But it's not. It's either or. God is not mocked about wrong thoughts and is not mocked about right thoughts. What does that mean? Whatever a man sows, he will also reap. Yeah, that's right. Wrong gets wrong. Bad gets bad. No, no, no. It goes on to say, verse 8. For whoever sows to his flesh will reap corruption. Yeah, I told you. It's that bad stuff. Yeah, wait, wait, wait. Because it goes on to say, verse 8. But he who sows to the Spirit will reap the Spirit and everlasting life. You see, God is not mocked. If you sow spiritual fruit or spiritual seed, you will reap spiritual results. If you sow seed to the soul, you will reap soul results. Whatever you sow, you will reap. You sow to the Spirit, you reap Spirit. You sow to the soul, you reap soul. God is wanting you to have above-the-line thinking. So what? So that you reap above-the-line results. This is the will of God concerning you. So if we reap spiritual results, we will think spiritual thoughts. If we continue to think fleshly and carnal and mere human thoughts, we will reap fleshly and carnal and mere human results. So, here's what I want to read something to you.
And then I'm going to have you repeat it. You see, I believe that God has planted his seed inside of you. And in that, every time you agree with him about who you are, you agree with his creation. And you fertilize and you water that seed. And I believe that harvest will happen. You will reap a harvest because God is not mocked. You sow spiritual seed, you will reap spiritual results. You will reap a spiritual harvest. So, here's what I pray practically every day. And then we'll come back and I'm going to have you repeat it. I am the light of the world because the light of the world dwells in me. Not because I am the light, but because he's in me, I am the light. Jesus said that you are the light of the world. I choose to believe it. Therefore, I will bear your light to change the world. Your kingdom will come. Your will will be done on earth in me as it is in heaven. No one will meet me and not be changed because no one can meet you and not be changed. I will become increasingly aware of the light that I carry. I will grow in you, O God, and therefore grow in this light. I will become a change agent in this world because you came to change this world. I will believe the unbelievable. What is not yet, I will become. I will come to understand where I am in you, and I will see my future more clearly than I have ever seen it before. The gifts you have given me will begin to flourish the more I understand your ways. Nothing will prosper that comes against me because I will live a repentant life before you. And because I live a repentant life, you will answer my prayer. I will become what you have called me to become. I will not fail at this. I have been placed here for such a time as this, you knew I could do it, and I will. I live where I live because you placed me here. I am not here by accident. I am here by divine appointment. My neighbors will prosper because of you in me. Those I touch will prosper because of you in me. It is impossible for me to pray for anyone who is not touched because you flow through me. And it makes no difference if he or she recognizes it or not, you will still touch them. You will touch others more at times than you do at other times. I will not judge my relationship with you based on what they feel. I will relate to you because of who you are in me, not because of others, not because of my emotions, not because I feel saved, not because I've ascended to greatness because of my intellect, but because of what you have done in me. I am procreated and I am regenerated. I am a new creation in you. Your seed has entered me. My spirit is now alive and quickened because your breath is in me. 
I will become quickened to you, fine-tuned to your spirit, not doing what you're not doing and doing what you are doing. I will become, I will become a witness for you because your light in me proves to others you exist. With your help, when they see me, they will see you. Soon there will be a clear distinction between those who don't know you and me because I know you. People will see me and they will know that I am a follower of Jesus and the bearer of his light. For your glory, this will happen, taking the foolish things to confound the wise. Thank you for finding me. And choosing me to be a change agent in this earth for your glory. When I get down, I pray that. I pray it almost every day. Because the enemy would love for me to think, and you to think, that you missed it. It's too late. Done too much. Maybe you've been there, done that, bought the t-shirt. Any number of excuses that the enemy makes into a reality because we choose to believe it. But this is real. This is his word repeated back to him in our language. So, I want you to repeat this after me. For those of you who would like a copy of this, all you got to do is go to our website and click up in the right-hand corner, Declarative Prayer, and there they are. These things are on the website. It's called Declarative Prayer. Up in the top right-hand corner, it's under News, under the News category, top right-hand corner, Declarative Prayer. And you can, you can copy them off of there. The website. Why are, you, why are you bothering me with details? <laughs> I'm teasing, I'm teasing. The website is streamsministries.com. Plural, streams, plural, ministries. Streamsministries.com. Or, if you can't remember that, johnpauljackson.com. We'll get you there. Okay, so repeat after me. Yeah, you can stand up. Yeah, if you want to. I mean, you, you can sit down. Okay. Ready? Father, Father receive, this receive this prayer and declaration, and declaration of, what you have done in me. of what you have done in me. I am the light of the world because the light of the world dwells in me. I will bear your light to change the world. Your kingdom will come. Your, kingdom will come. Your, will will Your will will be done. 
in me as it is in heaven. No one will meet me and not be changed. Because no one can meet you and not be changed. I will become increasingly aware of the light that I carry. I will grow in you and grow in this light. I will become a change agent for you in this world. I will believe the unbelievable. What is not yet, I will become. I will come to understand where I am in you. And I will see my future more clearly than ever before. The gifts you have given me will begin to flourish. More so as I understand your ways. Nothing will prosper that comes against me. Because I live a repentant life. Because I live a repentant life, you will answer my prayer. I will become what you have called me to become. I have been placed here for such a time as this. I live where I live because you placed me here. I am not here by accident. I am here by divine appointment. You have designed me to fulfill my purpose. My neighbors will prosper because of you in me. Those I touch will prosper because of you in me. It is impossible for me to pray for anyone who is not touched. Because you flow through me. It makes no difference if they recognize it or not. You are still touching them. You will touch others more sometimes than at other times. I will not judge my relationship with you based on what they feel. I relate to you because of who you are in me. Not because of others. Not because of my emotions. Not because I feel saved. Not because I've ascended to greatness because of my intellect. Because, but because of what you have done in me. I am procreated, regenerated, and born anew. Your seed has entered me. My spirit is alive and quickened. Because your breath is in me. I will become quickened to you. Fine-tuned to your spirit. Not doing what you're not doing. 
and doing what you are doing. I will become a witness for you. Your light in me proves you exist. With your help. When people see me, they will see you. Soon there will be a clear distinction between those who know you and those who don't. Between those who know you and me. Because you are in me, they will see the difference. People will see me and they will know that I am a follower of Jesus. Because I am a bearer of His light. For your glory, this will happen. Taking the foolish things to confound the wise. Thank you for finding me. And choosing me. To be a change agent in this earth for your glory. Amen. What you have just said is not a formula. It is the Word of God prayed back to Him. That Word will not return void. You pray that. You will become that. Because as you think in your heart, so are you. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Therefore, give thanks in all things. God has a plan for you. He has a plan for California. He has a plan for Central California and Southern California, Northern California. He has a plan for you. You are put here designed by Him, living exactly where you live at this exact date because there's something you can do, no one else can do better. Do not, and I repeat, do not harbor any thought different than that because it will not be what God thinks about you. He is not sorry He made you. He is not sorry you're still alive. He is not sorry for anything. But He does love you. And He longs for you to fulfill your rightful place in Him. Amen? Amen. Amen. You repeat that. In your mind, your thinking will change. And five years from now, you will be vastly different. Not a little different. Vastly different. Amen? Amen. 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 Minister team, would you come up here, please?